back to his favorite subject, the fool. He has a lot to say about the fool, so let's uh, go there. 26 verses 1 to 12. Snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse of God shall not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like the legs of the lame that hang limb is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor, transgressor his wages. As a, dog re- as a dog returns to his fo- own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. You see a man wise in his own eyes. There is more, more hope for a fool than him. Okay. In verse 1, snow in summer or rain in harvest would be very inappropriate. You know, it'd be, uh, you know, not, not convenient. Uh, it's something that doesn't fit well together, and so honor is not fitting for a fool. What, what are the problems that you see with a fool being honored? Might get promoted. Might get promoted. Might get promoted. What would be the problem with that? Shouldn't be any higher than what he is because he's a fool. Yeah, and so what happens if you promote him? It's going to mess things up. There are fools in high positions in businesses that everybody sort of has to work around. You know, <laughs> try to figure out some way of not having to deal with him. You try to get him in a position where he can do the least damage possible. Make sure he never sees a customer. You know, <laughs> there's a guy I know who, whose boss recently basically had all of the workers underneath him sort of transferred the reporting to a different person. So now he's in a position with no, <coughs> nobody under him. He has no one to have authority over, even though he's in this position of authority. You know, uh, fools, you, you give them honor, it doesn't fit very well. What are some other problems with honoring a fool? It encourages him in his foolishness. Absolutely! You know, it's like he's going to think he really knows something. Uh, that's certainly a dangerous thing. What else is bad about giving honor to a fool? Encourages other people to be the same. Exactly. It's going to give other people a false impression of his worth and may encourage them to imitate him. Does our society ever have a problem with honoring fools? Who are, yeah, you knew I was fishing for that. <laughs> Who are some typical kind of fools that get honored in our culture? Loud mouths. Loud mouths? Movie stars, sports stars, uh, you know, good singers and musicians. Not that all of them are fools, but some of them are terrible. And what happens when we make them heroes? They get worse, and so do we. We tend to imitate our heroes. It's terrible to honor the wrong people and to look up to the wrong people. 
because they have more bad influence on us when we honor them and think they're really cool. You know, you think about, uh, you know, younger kids with their sports heroes, you know, uh, entertainment heroes. What do they start doing? Well, well, <clears throat> I used to like, I used to like, like Little Wayne a lot, and you know I followed him on you know, like whatever that he do, whatever he said, and, like, uh, like. And in Rainbow and wherever I go, like all the the, the only time <coughs> I come over here and then not talk about the, uh, the not associated with the TV or movie is like in the, in the church. But other than that, like the outside of every single one that I know is like going up to either with a rapper or two back, whatever. The, and sometimes I notice myself, even at the, you know, even 25 years old, I'm still like I will put a pants that that I'm like, why do I do that? And that don't get bit in my the pen that don't get like, and I notice myself uh, like the, the 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 style that I choose to are like I was way too influenced when I was like teenage. Yes. And I keep doing these things at 25 years old. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I can only imagine like and for. The, the, for our younger, the, the, the younger generation, it doesn't matter in the United States or it doesn't matter wherever the country is. The, 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 the hip hop, the, the culture is influences so much. And then what I, what I was listening to is not thinking about it, like digesting it, and none of that is good for me or help for my future or help for my, any of them uh, uh, making decisions in my life. Exactly. You see, the young kids dressing like them, wearing their hair like them, talking like them, walking like them, acting like them, valuing the same things. If you look up to somebody, you make them your hero, they are going to influence you. You're going to want to be like they are. And so what a terrible thing when they are morally bad because it's going to tend to influence how you look at those things. And in fact, a lot of entertainment figures are purposely trying to influence and to change the way you think, even about moral things. You have to be really careful about that. Honoring a fool is dangerous in every way. Comments? Verse two is interesting. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. The idea is that if a fool curses you, and it's undeserved, then it won't hurt you. You know, there are people who have kind of a superstitious regard for curses. And like if you get cursed by somebody, even if it's not appropriate, it could really hurt you. And this is saying, no, you know, you take a, a curse that has no reason for it, it's not going to, it's not going to affect you. Uh, can you think of some, uh, one who cursed someone in the Bible and it did not hurt them? Balaam. Balaam tried to. Man, he tried so hard to curse the, the Israelites, but what happened every time he opened his mouth? Yeah, every time he opened his mouth, it was the very opposite of what he tried to do because God superintended his mouth. Um, that didn't work so well. 
for him. Um, God turned the curse into a blessing. Deuteronomy 23, 5. I think about somebody else who actually did curse someone, and it certainly did not uh, have any impact against him. David was cursed by Shimei, or what was his name? Yeah, Shimei, and that wasn't the first time he was cursed. Who cursed David before that? Goliath. Remember the Goliath cursing David by his gods? Didn't exactly help Goliath that he to do that, did it? And didn't it impact David? Shimei did later too. You know, so a baseless curse will not hurt us. You don't need to be afraid of that. And then three. <laughs> you use a whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the back of fools. What's that telling you about a fool? Not much different from <laughs> Yeah. Not much different from those animals. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's about the only way you can handle a fool. You're gonna to have to get physical and beat him, because he's not gonna to listen to wise counsel. About the only language, you know, a mule will understand is a is a is a whip. And about the only language a fool will understand is force. You can't really manage him. Of course, he's not saying to literally beat a fool. He's just saying a fool is so stubborn that nothing works. You know, he's never going to listen to reason. I think that's the point. Thoughts and comments on that one? But you notice something about four and five? Yeah, they contradict each other. That seems weird, doesn't it? If you were going to write a book that had contradictions, you probably wouldn't put them right side by side. Uh, so, when you see two things in the Bible that seem to contradict each other, it's probably something you need to look into more, because God is probably trying to draw attention to it. I think he is here. Let's study them each individually and then see how to put them together. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. What's that say? Don't get down to his level to try to argue with him. Yeah, because if you try to argue with a fool, what's that going to make him think? He's, He's like you. saying something worth arguing. Exactly, about. exactly. It's going to make him feel like he actually said something that was sensible that you needed to argue back against. It kind of puts you down uh, to his level and almost elevates his comments as something that needs to be refuted. So, so don't answer him according to his folly. Don't, you know, don't try to, to deal with him as if he actually made sense. Uh, on the other hand, verse 5, answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. So what's that say? That's not saying the exact opposite. It's saying answer it as it deserves. You know. I think it's pretty much the same in the original. Okay. But why, why should you answer the fool? <clears throat> yes. You know, if, if you don't answer him, he's going to think you don't have an answer. He's going to think he won. <laughs> you know, and sometimes you need to stand up for wisdom. So, don't answer a fool, answer a fool. Don't answer him, because it's going to make him actually think he said something that was worth answering. Answer him, or he's going to think you can't. Now, that's, I think th that is a 
verbal contradiction. I think he's saying both don't answer him and answer him. So what's the point of that? Well, here's one. You can't win when you're dealing with a fool. Whether you don't answer or you do answer, it's not going to work either way. There is no good way to deal with a fool. He's a fool. So you won't win. You know, I think that's the first lesson in this. Is that any way you go when you deal with a fool, it's wrong. It's not going to work. I think that's a, that's a, a good observation that Solomon's making about a fool. And here's another thing that you might see in this. Is that problems are often complicated. And you know, we want one size fits all rules. You know, just give me the one rule that applies to everything. You can't do that. Because in life, there are various principles that apply in various situations. You can't just come up with a canned answer that applies to everything. Sometimes that's what we're looking for. Well, you just tell me the one thing that will always fit and always work. No, it takes more depth. You know, when you're dealing with a fool like this, wisdom doesn't mean always doing the same thing, even in circumstances that superficially look similar. It means understanding more deeply and trying to grasp what principle applies in what situation. Maybe, in some, to some extent, I don't, I, this is a limited view, I think there's more depth than this, but maybe don't answer a fool in unimportant matters, but answer the fool when you're dealing with really critical issues. Um, that, that might be one way of seeing those two, there's probably more to it than that. But I think when he puts them together like this, it makes you realize, wow, you've got to really have discernment to understand when one principle applies and understand when another principle applies. And that's going to be true with a lot of proverbs. There are various proverbs that, you know, one will say one thing, like words. Some proverbs say, you know, keep your mouth shut and nobody will know you're a fool. And some proverbs say it's wonderful to speak because it's like apples of golden settings of silver. Should you speak or shouldn't you? Well, it depends. Do you have something worthwhile to say? Does the circumstance call for it? Etc. You can't just say, well, Proverbs says don't talk. Because Proverbs also says talk a lot. It depends on the situation. So I think it makes you stop and think about the need to have wisdom to know how to apply the Proverbs. Comments and thoughts, yeah, Kevin. Could it also be um, that we shouldn't stoop to their level and argue with the point, but we should show them that it is wrong. Whether or not we're going to win the argument, we got to show that we are against them in this. Maybe so. Yeah. That there's, some, there's certainly some wisdom in that. And, uh, you know, what does it make a guy look like that's just, you know, continuing to argue with a fool? You know, you all... It's almost difficult to deal with a fool and, and not get dirty, you know. He's, he's going to almost corrupt your image just by dealing with him. And yet, perhaps to some extent, he needs to know that he can be dealt with. Don't expect to convince the fool. I mean, that's one thing. You know, if you're trying to look for him to give in, you might as well give that one up. He's not going to. You know, he, he doesn't have the, you know, what it takes to ever understand he was wrong. So, so you, may, you may answer the fool even to keep somebody else from listening to him, but don't think he's going to 
think it was wise what you said. Eric. Um, is it kind of what Jesus did with the Pharisees sometimes? Like, I remember when they brought up <coughs> that he was casting out demons by the spirit of the demons or whatever. Like, he really refuted that because that was like an important, you know, but sometimes he didn't put that much emphasis on arguing with them, would you say? Yes. Good point. You're exactly right. In different situations, Jesus did different things. In John 8, they said, uh, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. Jesus said, I don't have a demon, and went right on. <laughs> you know? He's like, no. <laughs> but it didn't bother to argue the point. You know? And there were times when Jesus didn't even defend himself at all, and they're like, why don't you say something? And Jesus didn't say anything. So G you can see in Jesus' life, there are times to respond, and there's times not to. It takes a lot of wisdom to apply the wisdom of Proverbs. Other comments and questions? Well, six. What should you never do? Don't ever use a fool for anything important. It won't save time. It's almost like, you know, cutting off your own feet. You know, it's like laming yourself if you try to send a message by a fool. You know, some things... You know, you'd be better off without his help. You'd be better off doing it yourself because he won't ever get it right. He'll mess it up. You know, uh, if, if, he, if he's working for you, just don't even give him a job. Tell him, just go back home and you'll pay You know, because trying to undo what he did wrong, it'd be better not to have him do it in the first place. In seven, seven and nine, the proverb in the mouth of fools. What's that like? In seven, what's it like? It's absolutely useless. I mean, a fool has no clue what to do with a proverb. You know, he doesn't understand it. He has no idea how to apply it. But, but fools can kind of pick up you know, some words of wisdom. They can pick up a little slogan here and there that sounds pretty good, but they drop it in at all the wrong times and places where it doesn't even make any sense and they don't realize how inappropriate it is. You know, a, a scholar's parrot, parrot can say a few Greek words, you know, but that doesn't mean they understand anything about them. You know, and so you, you find some people who they actually know a few verses in the Bible. You know, every once in a while they'll throw one in, you know, you may be studying any subject and they're like, he that believes that is baptized shall be saved. You know, well, great, great passage. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with whatever you're talking about. But, but they'll, they'll, it's one of the few they know. So they have to work it in the conversation almost every time that somebody's talking about the Bible. And you realize how foolish they are. So, so you know, learning wisdom from a fool is about like learning to dance from a lame man. You know, you're not going to get it from it. And, and it's each actually a little bit worse than that in verse 9. What's a proverb in the mouth of a fool like? Throwing the clothes in the hand of the drunkard. Which is saying, what happens when a, when a fool knows a proverb? Dangerous? Yeah, he'll probably hurt somebody. Or maybe himself. It's like taking a a weapon and using it recklessly. 
You know, because a fool only, you know, he may, he may know the proverb, but the way he's using it, it's going to do damage instead of help. You know, it's like knowing a little bit of Bible, just enough to be really dangerous, because you don't know enough to understand it, so you use it the wrong way and it comes up with a total misconception. Um, a fool absolutely has no business with a problem. You know, um, you, you, you wouldn't want a fool, you know, trying to preach a sermon. It's going to be a disaster. He's going to use a passage or two, but by the time he gets done with them, it's going to be a terrible abuse of the text. Thoughts and comments about that? Yeah. Could the idea of the thorn in the hand of the drunk man be, well, just like the drunk man is, is numb to the pain of the thorn, so is the foolish man numb to the wisdom of the proverb? Well, certainly that's true. I have an idea this is more the danger involved, but certainly it's true. Look at seven, or eight rather. <laughs> like one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. Now, what do you think about binding a stone in a sling? Do you see a problem with that? <laughs> it's going to hit you back. Well, if... It's not even going to get out. Yeah. The idea of the sling is to actually, like, sling the stone, like, throw it. You tie the stone onto the sling. <laughs> That's kind of useless, you know. And, and it's equally useless to honor a fool. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, tying the stone onto the sling, it's like, you know, it contradicts the purpose of the sling. And, and trying to honor a fool contradicts the whole idea of honor. You know, so never try to give a, a, an award to a fool. It doesn't, it doesn't apply. And back in, uh, in 10, you know, what about hiring a fool? What's it like? Well, yeah. You know, what happens if you take some, you know, berserk archer who goes on a rampage with his bow and arrow and just starts, you know, uh, shooting arrows everywhere indiscriminately? It's a disaster. You know, you hire a fool, he will mess up more than ten good men can straighten out. You know, really, know somebody before you hire him. You may need somebody to work for you, but if you do, you sure don't want a fool. Because you have a bunch more work to do once he gets done with his damage. Isn't that sad? Fools are just a mess. <laughs> and then in 11, what do you find out? What does a fool never do? He never learns. And he just goes right back to committing the same foolish mistakes over and over again. A wise man, if he makes a mistake, will learn from it and not do it again. But a fool never learns. He just goes right back to the same thing. Remember uh, who used this passage in verse 11? In the New Testament? 
You know that passage, don't you? No? Second Peter, you had it in your margin. Yeah. Second Peter 2. Yeah, the, the sinner who goes back to the error of his way. You know, it's like the dog going back to his own vomit, or like the pig that was washed going back to wallowing in the mire. So yeah, that's, the, that's the passage that he picks up on. But, but that's a fool. You know, he just goes right back to it. But you know what's an amazing passage in Proverbs? is verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You know, to outclass the fool, that's bad. You would have thought that the fool was the most hopeless person there was. But the guy who's prideful and conceited is worse than a fool. You know, a fool has one hindrance. He's ignorant. The conceited fool has two hindrances. He's ignorant and he doesn't know it. He's self-deluded. Comments and thoughts on all that. Wrong. We didn't talk about fool yesterday, but my brother and me, me was talking about the, uh, like, he was, uh, okay, he thought he was a philosopher, so we were talking about philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> so I come to the conclusion that uh, the, the, what does stupid mean? Like, what, how do I conclude, you know, what, stupidness is, stupidness is, to me is a person who is unable of learning and a person who is not willing to learn it and a person who repeats the same mistake over and over again. That, I think that is stupidness. Definitely. Other thoughts? I think this is kind of a scary thought that, you know, even this fool may be completely ignorant that he is a fool. And so I think that's just really scary that, you know, you know what if I'm, you know, kind of acting like a fool and just don't know it? Yeah. Yeah, that's really, man, it does make you really want to examine the scriptures carefully and be really honest in our self-evaluation. You've, you've often want, wanted to be able to see yourself like other people see you. You wonder, what do other people really see when they look at me? But I think especially we'd like to know what does God see when he looks at us. You know, does he look at us and shake his head and say, what a fool? You know, we really need to be serious and sensitive to the message of the world. Other thoughts? Camera. I think this, all, this verse also brings it kind of home to us in the next few verses also. It's talking about fools and like, well, yeah, that, that guy's really bad and you don't want to have him help us. And But um, who is a fool? And how can we say who is a fool? We can't. That's not our place to say who's a fool. But God here tells us who is the fool. And he's like, well, if you're wise in your own eyes, you're not only a fool, you're worse than a fool. And then he's going to go on and talk about sluggards. And he's going to be talking about all these different people. Well, these guys are fools. These guys are worse than fools. And sometimes we're pointing the finger. Well, they're the fool. Well, we're the sluggard. Well, we're the person that's wise in our own eyes because we're the one pointing the finger. And that's not our place. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, if we're prideful, we're, we're worse than and what a common attitude that is, you know. So we really need to listen to that. We, we, humility is the first step. Other thoughts? 
All right, how about 13 to 16? The sluggard said, says, There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to, the bring it, it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser than his own eyes, than, several, than seven men who can answer sensibly. All right, in 13, we've had this before. What's the sluggard doing? Exactly. He's always got a reason not to do what he doesn't want to do. Some of them are kind of preposterous. There's a lion in the road. I can't go out. You know? Uh, but if you really stop and listen to our reasons for not doing things we ought to do but don't want to, they're not much more sensible than that. You know that? You know, the next time you're just making excuses because you're lazy and you don't want to do something that you, ought, that you should do, stop and think about the reason you're giving yourself. Is it about like where there's a lion in the road? Makes you think, doesn't it? And then you see uh, the uh, exercise regimen for a fool in verse 14. <laughs> What's that? Turning over in his bed. Turning over in his bed. You know, that's pretty much the greatest degree of movement he aspires to. You know, when he gets himself turned over, that pretty much wears him out, and he has to rest a while longer. You know, he's really poking fun at the fool. But you see, that's what a fool does. He doesn't make any progress. He doesn't challenge himself. He never gets out of his comfort zone. He never does anything uncomfortable. He never makes himself do something that he doesn't feel, you know, secure in, or he doesn't find easy. He only, if, if it's hard, he won't do it. You know, I mean, it, it just wore him out to turn over in his bed. How is he ever going to do this? You think about the tasks we ought to do that we aren't doing. Because, well, I just can't do that. Well, that's just too hard. We've got to challenge ourselves or we become a lazy fool. Thoughts? <clears throat> Wrong. It's, 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 okay, that's... The, the, and here the guy that was supposed to be sluggard said, oh, there's a line on the road, I, won't, I can't go out and walk. And sometimes I thought about it like, when we don't want to do something, like, we, I gave a lot of excuses. And I, when I think about, uh, back about my excuses that I gave, it's silly. It's, it's, it's the same thing with saying a lion on the, like, right yeah. on the urine or something like that. We do that all the time. Exactly. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, we're not any different than the fool. Sometimes we can be lazy. I think laziness is a big thing in our in, in our lives because we would say, "Well, I'm not lazy. You know, I do stuff." But what stuff do we do? Do we ju just do the stuff we like and want to do? You know, you're lazy if you get up and you play computer games all day instead of doing your homework, or, or helping around the house, or reading the Bible, or whatever else. You know, I'm not lazy, I got up this morning. Yeah, but you're lazy in the sense of not doing the, the responsibilities that you have. You know, we can be lazy toward the work we ought to do. That's laziness. You, you know, if some guy, you know, just never does anything productive, 
He's lazy. And so that can be us, right? If you're just doing things that feel good, usually those things don't have anything to show for them. You might as well have stayed in bed. You know, you'll have just as much to show for the next day as if you play games all day. Yeah, exactly. And how does a how do you feel when you've had a day that's been very unproductive because you were lazy? How does that make you feel? Depressed. And when you feel depressed, what does that make you want to do? Eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do something for fun that's unproductive to get your mind off of it. And so when you, when you feel depressed after an unproductive day, it makes you want to be even more unproductive, which makes you feel how? More depressed, which makes you want to do what? More unproductive. Do you see this is going nowhere fast? You know, kind of just a downward spiral. And it takes a lot of effort to pull ourselves out of that. We really need diligence. Now, how many times does Solomon say that? In so many ways. It's because we need that so badly. God knows our nature. And diligence, or avoiding laziness, is so important in our life and character. You know, so, look at 15. You've got the same idea. You know, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. He'd rather starve than move. You know, he manages to get his hand into the dish by sheer gravity. You know, but bring it up to his mouth, that just wears him out. He's poking fun at the fool, clearly. But the very thought of work just fatigues the fool. You know, he can't possibly do that. Oh, it would be too much. We are windy sometimes. We need to challenge ourselves, step up, and do what we need to do. So what? It's hard. That's life. You know, oh, it's too stressful. Well, our stress is our big buzzword. You know, I, I just, I'm too stressed. I can't handle it. Of course you can. If it needs to be done, do it, and forget about whatever stress it'll be. It'll take a lot of stress off when you get the job done. Well, what's stressful is having it hanging over you and not doing it. You have a phone call you need to make, but you don't want to make, but you need to make, but you don't want to make, but you need to make. And the longer you put it off, how do you feel? You know, it's just harder and harder. Do what you need to do. And then in 16, maybe you wouldn't have thought of 16 as applying so much to the lazy man. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Why do you think that applies to the lazy man? He's too lazy to find out the truth. <laughs> exactly! He is so lazy that he doesn't really want to investigate, he doesn't want to study, he doesn't want to research. He thinks he knows how to give a very satisfactory answer to any question presented to him without ever going through the work it takes to find out. A lazy man sometimes shows that 
by not ever seeing the need to learn something. It takes work and effort to learn things. So if the, if the lazy man thinks he knows it all, then he never has to work to study something. You know, the lazy man never has to prepare to teach a Bible class or preach a sermon. After all, he knows everything about the Bible anyway, and so he can just kind of talk off the cuff. You know, a wise man is constantly studying and growing and learning. Um, comments and questions on the lazy man through 16. Raul. <clears throat> okay. I hate saying the, about that, uh, like, I hate, every time when I speak, I hate saying that about myself, but the, that's the only thing for sure that I know. So, when I was, before I was a Christian, I didn't read the Bible, but I know it, the Bible. I had, like, I never really read chapter, like, finish a chapter in my life, and I know the Bible. And it's funny because now that I actually read through the Bible, I finished it, and I didn't know anything. I, I felt like I missed everything, and I go back again, and now I'm reading it or reading it, and I still don't get it. And that's funny because that's totally opposite. Because every time, uh, every time the the uh, before I actually read the Bible was like every time when come uh, like I just pick up a few a couple words. I even do that when people speak about that, and I will pick up what they just had that use it in the same conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lazy man's approach <laughs> <laughs> makes it sound like you actually know something. Yes. I mean, how many times do we do that even with, say, a lot of you in school, how many times do you decide, well, you know, I really know this material, I don't need to study for the test. Has that ever caught you before? You know, oh, well, yeah, I don't really know that. Maybe you don't, you just didn't want to work at it. So, yeah, great, great lesson. Good, good observation. Yes, Cameron. I think verse 15 um, is really applicable to the Christian and the church, and Sometimes we get into the church building and we're there, we're a member, we're always there, but we're too lazy to get anything out of it. We're, we get our hand in the dish, but we don't pull anything out of it. And so we don't come home, we don't apply it, we don't grow more, we don't, we're just there, we're a member, we're uh, warming the seats, and we don't get our hand out of the dish. And we think this guy is so stupid, and well, you didn't even eat what you're doing, or what you put your hand in there to get. Well, we're not eating the word that we're given. Good point, good application. Very good. Other thoughts? Dad? This kind of fresh in my mind. I mean, me and the guys on the way up here were listening to um, the first like, seven or eight chapters of Nehemiah and just seeing what amazing things were able to be accomplished when people had a mind to work. And you think for, you know, for, for so long, you know, they're just kind of sitting around being lazy until someone came up and really let a fire underneath them, and we see when they finally were diligent and, and ready to work, they're able to do great things. What was the challenge for them to overcome mentally to rebuild that wall? I think that it seems so overwhelming. Yeah, such a big job. It just it just uh, takes the energy out of you. Sometimes we're like that. If we can get something done right like that, we'll do it. But if it's going to take a long time and a lot of effort, it, it just kind of takes the motivation away from us. Raul? I think it has a lot of things to do with the, uh, the, the desire as well, the, the last. And, you know, instead of looking at little, the simple a day, we look at it a month or a year or for the rest of the life, you know. So I think 
It is also the the, uh, the alcoholic anonymous the AA taught us uh, to focus on every day on where you at uh, the, at the moment where you at right now. That's that's very important because I don't know for other people for for me I every time when I keep forgetting that like I'll do something and then when I focus on a long time I'll be like I stop defeating okay I can't do this anymore so I just give up you know stop it. So I think it is very important for, for no matter where you're at, like just being sober, being drunk, being, it doesn't matter. To focus on where you're at and what you're doing at this moment. We have a hard time with things that are long-term things. We only have the concentration a lot of times for something that we can accomplish and, and you know, complete immediately. But most real valuable things in life are process. It takes daily effort over a long period of time. And, and what you want is the maturity to continue to work and to continue to daily do the things that will accomplish your goal. And so that those are very important principles in Proverbs. Then, kind of following up with that, you know, um, how about Bible study? You know, is there a way in which we can study for the day but not for the long term? Or are those, are those things, two things connected? Or are there some helpful things that we can think about as far as how to develop that long-term knowledge? Well, definitely. I mean, sometimes we want a quick fix. You know, I need to teach this class what's a quick, easy way to learn something just to teach that as opposed to developing a deeper knowledge that's going to require more effort and yet we may not have a lot to show for it immediately. You know, sometimes we only like to study our favorite passages, things that are easy for us, rather than continuing to work to understand things that are more challenging. I don't know, maybe there's some other thoughts you all have on those things. Or other comments on this? Good discussion. Okay, 17 to 19. <coughs> He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel is not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his brother, his neighbor, and says, I was only joking. Where there okay, is good. In 17, would you uh, grab a dog by his ears? You know, if you didn't know the dog, would you even try to grab him? <laughs> you know, that could be rather painful and dangerous. And what's he comparing that to? Not minding your own business. Yeah. Not sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. You know, meddling in somebody else's matters. You're going to get in real trouble. You know, you get in the middle of something that's not any of your business at all, you'll get both sides mad at you. You know, learning when not to speak, when not to interfere, when not feeling like you have to get in the middle of something, there's a time that is not wise for us to intervene. We don't have to know about everything that happens. We don't have to give our opinion to everybody about every situation. You know, learning to mind your own business. You know, it's a lot safer. Comments and thoughts about that? It's a good lesson. You know, think about the applications of that and learn when to restrain yourself. And then I really like verses 18 and 19. I think there's a lot of applications of this. Here's a madman 
who's reckless with firebrands, arrows, and death. <laughs> uh, you know, those are lethal weapons that he's uh, using lightly. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was just joking. Ooh. Do you see applications of that? Yeah, I mean, just a lot of our conversations, sometimes when we say something that's insulting someone, then we realize that, oh, never mind, I was just, I was just joking. You know, we kind of just cover it up like that. Yeah, sometimes that's dishonest. Sometimes we weren't joking at all, we just try to get out of it by saying that. And that's not fair. That's not taking responsibility for what we do, Raul. <clears throat> well, my two of my uncle got killed because they were joking like that with the... Uh, uh, what happened, like, okay, so he bought a pistol and want to go show it to his brother. And he always, he usually do the, uh, he usually do the, uh, without he even bought the weapon, he would usually come into the house with a pistol and then, like, without the round. And then always joke about it. But that day he happened to, had a round in it and then didn't know, and then joke about it like he always do, and then shot him in the head. And then, right up to that, he noted that he just he just killed the the, the younger one, so he shot himself. So the, that was very recent. The, so that happened about a month or two, two months ago. Yeah. And that's a joke. And he was joking. Yeah. He was joking and he killed. We can have very reckless joking. It's very destructive. And sometimes we will do things like, uh, what about this? What about, you know, saying something to somebody that isn't true for a joke and just continuing with it for a long period of time? You know, the person believes you're tr telling the truth, but you're really just joking. Do you see a problem with that? <clears throat> Only after, you know, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, you tell the truth. What does that tend to do? Yeah, it kills the confidence. It kills the trust. You know, uh, you know, there are certain kinds of joking and teasing that, well, sometimes we do that, and it's very obvious in the beginning, we're just, we're saying that to be funny, not seriously. Or we immediately tell someone that's a joke. But when you carry that on, and maybe even the person acts on it, it, it just, it really hurts the relationship. It hurts the trust. You know, I, there's a lot of joking that is really not positive. It's really not helpful. It's, it's harmful and destructive. And, 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 and it really makes us dishonest uh, when it's all said and done. It's reckless. Brandon? What do you say to a person when they say that to you? I was only joking because, you know, when people do that to me, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, no, you're not. You know, I, I struggle with that. Maybe you could say it sure didn't feel like a joke to me. You know, it might make the person think. But mostly we need to examine ourselves with that. You know, there's a lot of joking that is just, you know, it may be fun for us, but is it fun for the one we're, uh, you know, joking at the expense of? If it's not fun for them, it's not good. You know, if it's uncomfortable for them. Even, what about this kind? There's a lot of kinds of joking. What about teasing? You know, teasing is not always bad. 
Sometimes teasing can even kind of uh, break down barriers and kind of, uh, you know, be a way of, of, you know, developing a relationship with somebody. But there is teasing that's bad. What are bad kinds of teasing? Well, like put downs or things. Like you may be saying something to someone and maybe you really don't mean it at all. Like, oh, hey, ugly or something like that. Um, but it gets in their head even if they don't consciously think about it. And that stuff matters. Yes. So, what do we have to be sensitive about with that? How do they really think and feel about it? You know, um, there are times when, you know, most of us feel insecure and most of us feel kind of bad about ourselves and sometimes someone will tease us about something and it, all, it really feels to us like it probably is true. And so, you, you know, one thing I try to do when I tease somebody is make sure they know I don't mean it seriously, and even sometimes just say, does that bother you? Does that hurt you? And try to be thoughtful about that. Uh, maybe try to be sure I'm not teasing about something that they would tend to think is true, you know, or, or, or bothers them. Um, and and he, this goes along with that, and is even more serious. Do you ever tease to kind of make a point? Is that fair? I don't think it is. Because you tease to make a point, they don't know whether you're serious or not. You know, that it, it, if you're serious, that's cruel. It's cruel to make, to try to tell them something by teasing. Be mad enough to just sit down and say it directly, rather than making fun of them to try to make a point. And it becomes confusing. You know, if they get their feelings hurt, well, you just say, I was teasing. You know, I just don't think that's appropriate at all. One thing that I try to do, I don't always accomplish it, but I try to tease about something that is clearly not true that is obviously not true, or that is obviously unimportant, and that I don't think is important to them. You know, I know for me, there is certain kind of teasing that's perfectly okay with me. You know, it doesn't bother me because it's not something that bothers me, so it's okay. But there's other kinds of teasing that, you know, hurts me, or every once in a while, maybe you've had this experience, and, and it's made me think, as I've felt this sometimes, has there ever been times when people can tease you about something some of the time, and it's okay, and then there's certain days or moments they tease you about it, and it just really bothers you, and it's like, yeah, that's probably true. You know, so we just need to be sensitive and careful, and you know, sometimes we're too concerned about getting a laugh. Or we're too insecure about just an honest, serious conversation. Those are some of my thoughts on that. What are things that you think about with that? Cameron. Going back to make, uh, the teasing to make a point. That, in that case, sometimes in the Bible you makes fun of the sin. But making fun of the sin is different than making fun of the sin. 
Because if you're making fun of the sin, you're just like, they can look at that and be like, oh, yeah, that, that is stupid. Why am I doing that? Like earlier with the whole putting your hand in the dish and can't get it out. Well, that, that's funny because, well, that, that's stupid. Why would they do that? But um, to be teasing the sinner, if you're like, well, you are this and whatever, it's, it's a difference. But sometimes it can be good, sometimes it isn't. Yeah, there is a, sometimes you might, as you're talking to someone seriously, say something that's funny for them to help, help them see what they're doing. That's different. The teasing is like you're acting like you're not serious when you are. Saying something humorous to help the person see the point. Jesus did that a lot. He says, you're like, you know, you're trying to thread this camel through a needle's eye. Mm -hmm. You know, you're washing the outside of the cup and leaving the inside all full of junk and, you know, rotting food. He meant that to be serious, even though there was irony in it. Right, yeah, um, just doing that to make a point, it's really kind of cowardly because, you know, you can, you know, take a jab at them, but if they, you know, kind of confront you on that, oh, I was just teasing. You know? Yes. Uh, it's kind of like sniping you know, from a distance, you know, you don't have any yeah. risk. You're not really taking responsibility for what you're doing. Yeah, Dad. I think a lot of times we use humor just to cover up our own insecurities. Yes. Uh, a lot of times we feel insecure, even just conversationally. Um, I think a lot of social media has done that to us, where we are very a non-confrontational generation that I, I think, especially young, young people, is we, we don't like confrontation. So we use humor, try to lighten it, try to make it you know, non-confrontational. And a lot of times that goes too far and gets out of control to the point where we're hurting people. Yes, good point. And sometimes, sometimes you might even think that you could make a point by teasing and it wouldn't be as confrontational. But really, it's unfair. I don't know that our purpose in, in teasing to make a point is necessarily bad, but it's not the right way to do that. It's, it's fairer and, and easier for the person to take it if you just will tell them directly than if you'll try to kind of tease them to get them to see what's really going on. I just don't think that's fair. I think we need more directness in our communication. You know, one thing to always remember is you know, how would you want to be treated? Would you want somebody to do something that hurts you? I would say that about certain kinds of joking and teasing that maybe not be even verbal. You know, some people like certain kinds of even like practical jokes, and other people don't. And, and you know, it's really not fair to do something that's funny to you that's not funny to them. Uh, you know, uh, this is kind of the, uh, uh, you know, weird illustration from a personal standpoint, but one of the things that people knew I didn't like, I never liked this idea of like messing up and decorating the car when people are getting married. I never, I never once helped with that, with anybody, because I don't like that kind of stuff. It, it's not fun for me. And no one did it to my car when we got married. Because they understood that I never did that kind of thing. I didn't like it. And so, you know, it might have been fun for those people, but the people knowing it wouldn't have been fun for me didn't do that. Now, there are some people, if you didn't do that to their car, they have their feelings hurt. They <laughs> like doing that. They like getting it done. But trying to be sensitive to what's fun for them and what they would enjoy 
is, is really just being thoughtful and treating people the way you'd want to be treated. You want them to be sensitive to what you like and don't like. We ought to be that way with other people. It's not just, well, will it be fun for us? But will it be, will it be a joke to them or not? You know, sometimes also we can joke about things that are um, insensitive to, to people. You know, that, that people would get embarrassed about or, or be tense about. Um, sometimes it's helpful to do this. Watch what people joke about with themselves. You know, if people joke about something with themselves, then usually that's safer. Um, you know, but if, if, if they're not joking about it, about themselves, then, you know, they may be sensitive about it. Thoughts and comments on that. Well, how should we approach someone? I think Greg kind of come about this. You know, when, when someone is saying something to us or joking around something that really bothers us, how much should we try to tell them about that? Or else, you know, also, how, how should our attitude be about just you know, manning up and just getting over it and, and not being so self-centered and getting things Probably a little bit of both, in my judgment. Um, you know, sometimes we are too focused on ourselves. Sometimes we're too worried about ourselves. And, and too, you know, we show us self-focus by our being sensitive in some ways. On the other hand, you know, some of our sensitivity, you know, is like, well, if this is really true, then I need to change this. And I think there may be some times we just need to say, it makes that, I feel like you're sort of saying that seriously. Do you, does this really bother you? Or do you really feel like I need to change this? Or is this really a problem? You know, there are times when I think it's, it's very right for us to be honest. To say, you know, this feels like you really mean this. And, and I need to know if you do. I, I think it's okay for us to say that. And, and to try, it, more honesty and directness helps. We need to be, you know, uh, tender when we're honest and direct. But it, isn't it amazing how much we refuse to directly say anything? And, and so we, we live in riddles. You know, honesty is helpful, and just honestly asking, or honestly saying, you know, it hurts me when you do that. I, I think that's fair, especially with something that's really sensitive to us or painful to us. Um, you know, things that don't bother one person will bother somebody else. Wrong. I think it's really helpful when you direct with love. Like, because I heard that when I was in the hospital, the, the winter training, the, 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 about a few weeks ago, and I, I said the, uh, the the title is saying, true, uh, true without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, truth without love is hypocrisy. So the, I, I got it from there is the, you know, we, we, sometimes we are direct, yes, but that when we don't really just try to be direct because trying to prove that you were right, then that hurt a lot of people. Right. So when you put, but when you actually thought the, 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 the when you actually care about the person and be direct about it, then that, that really is that really helpful. Good point. Yeah. Other thoughts? 
Proverbs brings up a lot of things for us to meditate on, so I think it's helpful. 20 to 22. You know, we see a lot of what causes strife and quarreling here. You know, if you didn't add wood, the fire would go out for a lack of fuel. And if you didn't add the slander and the gossip, you know, the strife would end. But, but you, get, you take somebody who's always stirring things up, you know, who's always saying things that get people riled up. There's a Brazilian expression, to botar fogo, to put fire on something that more or less means that. Always kind of, uh, you're putting fire in something. You're always trying to keep people riled up and upset with each other and, and create strife and converse. We need to avoid being that kind of person. Avoid being the kind of person that's always, you know, always setting people against each other. Do you know what your friend told me about you? They said you were this, this, and this. Well, now what's that going to cause? A big fight between you and your friend. You don't have to tell everything that somebody says to you. You know, there's some people things that would be much better kept to yourself. Uh, and so don't be somebody who's creating strife. And you think about the gossiper in verse 22, what happens with the tasty morsels of gossip that they spread? They become a part of them. Yes. It, it just go, gets in the inside of you. And it affects how you look at the person. You'll never see the person the same way again. You know, because it gets inside of you in the, in the innermost part of your, your thoughts. So somebody gossips. May, it may, may not even be true. But you hear about it. And then you always kind of have suspicion. You're always kind of like, I wonder if they really are. You know, so it's really important. A. Never say anything that's dishonest about somebody. That's totally wrong. And don't say things about somebody that you don't know if they're true or not. That's irresponsible. And even if it's true, is there a value in it? Is there a purpose in it? Just, just we can't just excuse things by saying, well, it was true. Okay, it may have been true, but it didn't need to be said. It wasn't helpful. So we really need to guard the things we say about each other. Wrong. And a few chapters back, like, uh, well, when we're studying the, the church, I, I saw that uh, the, in the Proverbs saying that a wise man always uh, would cover the matter, and the stupid always, you know, put it out. So to me is that if there is a true, even if that is a, if a, the person is bad or a person is that, the, what they talk about bad about the person is true, then our job is to cover the matter and then maybe turn it that in a positive way. If that's not profit for anybody, just don't say it. Yes. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts? Right. 
maybe just tolerate this way too much in our churches. Um, this is one of the specific sins that singled out, you know, withdraw from these people, don't associate with them. Um, but, you know, when's the last time you heard about someone being withdrawn from for being contentious? <laughs> um, you're right, and sometimes we receive that too much. You know, somebody is always stirring us up or gossiping to us about somebody else. What would happen if we said, I don't want to hear that? You know, if you think of, of phrases people start conversations with, like, maybe I shouldn't say this to you. <laughs> Now, what do you say next? What is it? <laughs> or, well, if you shouldn't say it, then don't. Maybe you ought to think about that before you say it. Is it really better for you not to say it? You know, would that be the right way to avoid Or somebody, while back somebody said to me, uh, well, I told this person I wouldn't tell you this. <laughs> Well, I stopped that person. I said, well, now, if you told them you wouldn't tell me this, then you shouldn't tell me. And he didn't tell me. But if I hadn't stopped you, or if I had said, well, what is it? He was going to tell me. But that would have made him a liar. He had committed, I'm not going to tell this. You know, if somebody starts the conversation like that, and you stop them, maybe it will help them even with other people to think about the fact if they shouldn't say it, then don't say it. If they start gossiping and you realize, hey, wait a minute, what they're saying is not appropriate. Maybe you should say this. Have you talked to that person about this? You know, you're telling me these bad things about them. Have you gone to them and tried to help them? Or are you just trying to spread it? Uh, you know, we kind of have a responsibility as the hearer to help the speaker not to speak inappropriately. If the gossiper gets a big audience all the time that's egging them on, how will they ever overcome their gossiping? So, you know, we can help the person who struggles with this to overcome it by not reacting in a way that kind of makes them want to keep going. Thoughts? All right, and then 23 to 28. Like a glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips of an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself. Whoever hates disguises himself with lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who is wrong, who starts it wrong. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works its ground. Well, you know, we're in this section of Proverbs, if you haven't noticed already, where you have lots of comparisons, very different from some of the earlier sections where you had more opposites, for example, or something like that. And here, some of the comparisons are 
are very thoughtful, but you have to look at them a little bit. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. An earthen vessel, we, what would we call an earthen vessel? A clay pot. You know, how do you look at, at, at a clay pot? How valuable is that? Not very. Not very. You don't think of that as being a real high class uh, sort of a thing. But now what happens if you put a, a silver glaze on the clay pot? What will that do for the clay pot? Because it makes it look a lot better. It makes it look silver. It makes it dazzle. Does it make it different from being a clay pot? No, it's still a clay pot. It's a clay pot that looks nice. <laughs> you know, well, that's burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Now, do you see what he's comparing that to? What's he, who's he talking about here? A person who is insincere. What do they say to you? All the right things, nice things, they praise you, they tell you how much they like you, they affirm their friendship with you, they smile at you a lot, but what's really going on on the inside? They hate you, they're trying to hurt you, they're gossiping about you, and, and things like that. They just, they're a clay pot with a silver glaze. Be careful about that. Be wise about that. Certainly we shouldn't do that. You know, are you ever the sort of person that will do this? Somebody comes up to talk to you. Maybe you're talking to two or three friends. Somebody comes up. Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, you're this and this and, and just praising you. And then, then you walk away. And the person turns to the others and, boy, that guy is a jerk. You know, he's a fool. And, that's not what you said to them. You know, there are a lot of people who are very insincere. They, they, they cover up how they really feel with something that makes them look better, even though it's not true. And a wise man will kind of see through the facade and not trust that. Don't believe everybody who says nice things to your face. You know, there are plenty of people who are hypocrites. They're, they're really dishonest about that. Uh, certainly don't be like that. It would be better, much better in fact, to praise someone to others and to be stronger with them to their face. I, I've been studying a passage I'm going to use Sunday morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which is a great illustration of this, I think. Paul was very worried about the Corinthians. There were some problems that needed to be corrected. He wrote a letter that was very strong to them, and he sent it with Titus. And Titus was going to not only deliver the letter, but also try to work with the Corinthians and help them to repent and straighten up. 
And then Titus meets up with Paul and tells him how it went. And it went really well. The Corinthians received it well. 2 Corinthians 7.14 For if anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. It's interesting. Apparently Paul had told Titus the Corinthians are really good and they'll receive you well. You can trust them that their reaction will be good. Paul is relieved that they proved that to be true. That he hadn't spoken too well of them before Titus. You can imagine him telling Titus that, setting him off with the letter and then thinking, I hope they really are that way. I hope I didn't speak too highly of them to Titus and he's not let down by their reaction. Thankfully, they reacted well and it proved that what Paul said was right. But that's a good attitude. To speak well of people when at all possible before others. Paul wrote them very strongly in the letter he took to Titus. But he told Titus about how good they were and how well they would react. We would be much better off saying stronger things when we speak to the person and saying nicer, more encouraging things when we're speaking to other people about the person. We often reverse that. Thoughts and comments? In verse 26, I'm back in Proverbs 26 now, though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. You know, people will hide their true thoughts for a while, but eventually they'll come out in public. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to hide long-term things you're saying to various people. Eventually, somebody's going to say, reveal what you said. Um, and, and eventually, people are going to find out. Eventually, people will lose their trust in you. You, you eventually kind of know certain people that they're just not honest. And, and, and especially you start worrying about somebody who you see doing this number, where you see them with the person and they're all, oh, it's so wonderful, you're so great. And then when they're talking to you about that person, they're telling you how terrible they are. Then you start to wonder when they're telling you how great you are. What are they saying about you to other people? kind of makes you scratch your head. So eventually it will be revealed. You know, when you're insincere and dishonest, you can't keep that facade up. Eventually that silver glaze wears off of the clay pot. Thoughts about that? And then in 27, what do you learn? Absolutely. Evil deeds backfire. Kind of like the whiplash of justice. You know, you become the victim of your own plot. You dig a pit and you fall into it. You roll the stone and it comes back on you. That's the nature of God's world. He made it to where you tend to reap what you sow. Uh, that's certainly appropriate. It's the just thing. You ought to uh, get what you dished out. And it works that way most of the time. Thoughts about that? And then in 28, 
A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Think about that last one. How, you know, flattery um, sets people up to get taken advantage of, to think too highly of themselves. We think of flattery maybe in more positive terms, but it's really not honest and not helpful to flatter someone. All right, anything you want to say about this chapter? Cameron? Verse 28, when it says, a lying tongue hates its victims, so, sometimes we think that, well, I can't tell them this because this will hurt their feelings. I need to protect them from what other people are thinking about them because it would really crush them to know that. But it says that if you're lying to them, then you're hating them. It's their victims. And we need to let them know what others are thinking about them. So that um, they can fix that and so that they can have a better relationship with God and with others. How honest is God? Who's our pattern? You know, how honest is God with us when it comes to the things that we need to hear? You know, God is patient. God is kind. God is encouraging. There's a lot of... But, but God is direct. And God is honest. And He's willing to challenge us. You never think of God as being sort of deceptive. You never think of God as flattering or saying something nice when he really doesn't mean it. That's our model. You know, we're trying to be honest and truthful like the Lord is. Other thoughts? All right. Uh, probably uh, just as well to stop here then, and uh, that sets us.